I, I truly feel like part of my job is to protect my kids. And uh, so if that means that I feel like uh, a, a call isn't being made by officials or, um, you know, somebody's health is being put in danger because, you know, football is a physical game. If there's cheap shots being taken or whatever, I, I'll get I'll get pretty fired up. There's no doubt about that. Um, but it's very clear in our program that I'm the only one who's allowed to do that. Um, and I, I think it's part of part of the game. And, you know, I have to protect my guys and, and make sure that, you know, thing, things are being called fair and all that. And at, at those points, you know, I'll get pretty fired up. But with our kids, you know, I think year after year, I do a better and better job. You know, I, I call the offensive plays. And so I spend a lot of time with our quarterbacks and just knowing knowing my kids, the calmer I am, the better he's going to play. And so the more that I can coach to the, to the level of where the kid needs to be, I think the better off um, we all are. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. Like probably most of you, our school year is now underway. We just finished up our in-service week. And so if you're listening to this at release time this upcoming week, we start up on Tuesday and then we just get rolling. And as a head baseball coach, you know, we'll get into off-season workouts. And before you know, the spring season will get underway and everything will just fire and be over so quick. So I hope you, uh, like me, at some point really try to focus on being present and enjoying the moment and making sure you carve out lots and lots of time to be present with your family and just you know, wherever you are, just be there, be where you are. Uh, so anyway, uh, thank you so much for choosing to click play on this episode. I'm so just unbelievably glad that you choose to continue listening, or if this is your first time, I hope you continue listening in the future to the High School Coaches Club. And a huge thank you to Will Miner and the gang over at Netting Pros. They have powered the High School Coaches Club literally for years. If you need anything improved in your facility, make them your first call. Not only will they help you design it, but they'll do it all custom for you. From the fabrication to the installation, they've got you covered for netting, digital graphic wall padding, turf, turf protectors, cubbies, windscreen, ball carts, you name it. They crush the baseball and softball world on a daily basis, but they also get after it in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. Even if you made a sport up, I guarantee you, you call Netting Pros, you call Will Miner, they're going to build whatever it is you want them to build. They are truly making facilities better all across America, providing high quality products and services for facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country, not only at the high school level, but for recreational, collegiate, and professional sports as well. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Netting Pros, they're improving programs one facility at a time. In this episode, I'm joined by Brennan Mossholder, who actually grew up here in Oregon about probably 90 minutes north of where I'm sitting right now, where he played football and then won a state title as a senior member of the 2010 baseball team for Clackamas High School. While still in college, he dove into the coaching world, and then at age 24, he became the head football coach at Yamhill Carlton High School, where he eventually also became the head baseball coach. Uh, after four years there, he transitioned from Oregon over across the border to Idaho, where he now has served as the head football coach at Hillcrest High School since 2021. In year one, they went 0-9, and, and then in year two, 5-4. and 4. 
That's not easy to do. Uh, And now they're officially underway in his third year. It's an exciting time for Hillcrest, who, if you're listening to this on the day in which it's released, they would have just played their first game in their brand new football stadium yesterday. So congratulations to Brennan and Hillcrest. So let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 89 with Brennan Mossholder. All right, Brennan, thanks for jumping on. Hey, Max. uh, Really excited to be here, man. I'm glad you connected with me, and I'm, I'm glad we can get this going. I know you're in Idaho now, and I saw one of the first things that I, I discovered or found was a picture of you and a, a couple of other guys holding some shovels and breaking ground on a, a new football stadium. So at this point, how excited are you for that? Oh, I mean, it, it's so huge for uh, Max. It's Sorry, we might have to start over here. It says that there's a probable saving my local backup, and I'm seeing flat lines when I'm talking. Oh, that's okay. It's good on my end. Oh, okay. Start over again. Sure. Yeah, Yeah, it's good. Don't worry. It's still... um, I'll I'll check yours too and see. Uh, Yeah, it should be okay. Okay. Hopefully. (laughs) Let's do it again. All right, I'm joined by Brandon. Thanks for being on the show with me, man. Hey, Max. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, for sure. One of the first things that I, I kind of saw with you was a picture uh, of you and a couple other people uh, holding some shovels, uh, getting ready to break ground on a, a brand new football stadium for your high school. So kind of how excited are you at this point? Uh, I think excited would be an understatement. <laughs> um, so I'm the head football coach at Hillcrest High School um, in Idaho Falls, Idaho, and uh, going into my third season here. And uh, Hillcrest has been open since, I believe, 1991. And uh, for that entire time, Hillcrest has played all of their home football games um, at Bonneville High School, which is kind of our main rival um, and uh, another school in our in our district. Um, and the facility is great. Um, we've been blessed to play our games there. But, man, to have some place that's um, our own and that we can call home and we don't have to bus five miles down the road for home games, um, it, it's just going to be so huge, not only for the football team, but for our whole community. It's it's going to be a place um, with the turf field that um, we really can hold year-round events at, graduations, uh, soccer games, lacrosse games, you name it. Uh, it's just going to get so much use. Um, and, you know, huge credit to Larry Stocking, our athletic director. Um, it is 100% privately funded. We, we haven't taken out any bonds, no, no tax raises. So, uh, we're, we're really thrilled and we're, we're hoping it's going to be done here in time for uh kickoff this fall. Well, that makes a big difference for like, for, you know, obviously the school and the kids and everything, but I think also the, there's something about football and I've talked about this before with other people and it's, it's nothing new, but there's something about football that brings communities together beyond just the kids that are actually in the school and the parents and everything like brings people together and so I feel like having a home football stadium is like bare minimum to be able to kind of really I I guess grasp everything that a football program can really bring to a community so I think that's really exciting for you guys yeah I I agree with you 100% you know right wrong or indifferent we uh we talk to our boys all the time about the fact that kind of how the football season starts really does affect the start of the school year and student morale and things like that. So we, we take our summer uh, effort and workouts really seriously because we know it, it is a huge community event and we know that um, it really does impact the culture of the school. And, and so we're trying to hold up our end of the bargain by being ready to go when we kick off there. 
and you were part of a, a, a high school that was really rooted and still is rooted in, in athletics and being great. And so why don't you take me back to high school? Where did you go? What was it like? What did you play? That sort of stuff. Yeah. So uh, I'm a pastor's kid. I moved, moved around a bunch of the youth, um, but my uh, by, by my sophomore year of high school, I ended up at Clackamas High School um, outside of Portland, Oregon. And a really large school, 6A school, competes in the in the largest um, division in Oregon at, at the 6A level. And I was just really blessed to be part of two programs in both football and baseball um, that were read, uh, led by really good leaders. Uh, Joe Bushman um, with the uh, football program. Um, he was there for over a decade, uh, won a 6A state championship, um, I believe in 2018, 2019. Um, and he is now the head coach at Lewis and Clark College. And uh, John Arnson um, was at Clackamas for, uh, geez, two decades and is now as their athletic director and won multiple state championships um, uh, with the baseball program. And I was lucky enough to be uh, part of those um, in my uh, my senior year, uh, part of a 6A state championship baseball team. Um, I love to tell the story that um, I was the DH for the uh, state championship game. So that meant there was 10 starters. And of the 10 of us, Nine of us went on to play some sort of college sports, whether it was football or baseball. Um, so just around a lot of really talented people and a lot of really good coaches. And um, I think that just kind of inspired me once I once I quickly found out I was never going to be a professional athlete uh, to stay involved in athletics. Um, but I think a large part of that was because of such uh, such a good experience that I had at Clackamas. Well, yeah, when I look at your like resume and, and how quickly you got into coaching, it is it fair to say that when you were in high school, or at least that by kind of the end of your senior year, start of your freshman year of college, you knew that you were going to be a coach? Yeah, I, I think I was always on that path. Um, I was actually having this conversation with some of our seniors as they're trying to figure out life for next year. Um, you know, I'm the oldest in my family. Um, didn't really know what recruiting looked like. Didn't really know what I was going to do with my life. Um, so I had a couple opportunities. I, I was the backup quarterback at Clackamas. The guy in front of me uh, played four years at uh, Western Oregon University. He was really talented. Um, and you can only have one quarterback on the field, unfortunately. So I did not get a lot of football playing time. Um, so had an opportunity to walk on at a couple of the private schools around Portland, but that was going to be you know $50,000 a year. Or I had the opportunity to play community college baseball for close to free. Um, so, so that decision was really uh, easy for me. Uh, even though, uh, truthfully, I, I like football more and have continued now as a football coach. But uh, so, yeah, I, I just think I just kept putting one foot in front of the other and wanted to continue being part of athletics. Um, and once my college career was done, you know, that was the logical next step. And I took steps along the way um, to just continue being part of the high school program and youth programs in Clackamas and just took advantage of some of those opportunities. And, and one door just kept opening up to the next. And then at some point, uh, you finish college, uh, you head off into, you know, the real world or whatever. Um, and, I, you know, you, you end up going back to Clackamas and subbing for a couple of years um, and coaching for a little while there. What was it like coming back home? I did the same. I went to North Salem High School, graduated, moved on with my life, then came back and coached there for a couple of years. Uh, it was a really cool experience for me. Um, did you find coaching at Clackamas to be an easy transition or did you find it a little bit more difficult just because of the the age, you know, the, how close you are in age to some of the kids that are there? 
Um, I think there were certainly um, some hiccups along the way. But again, I just have to point to the leadership uh, from Coach Bushman and Coach Arnson uh, really uh, sitting me down and having tough conversations at points. And, and their leadership has really set me up for success. Um, the fact that they both started me off in the youth program, so there was that larger age gap. You know, I was probably 22 years old coaching a, a seventh grade team and then a 23 year old uh, coaching an eighth grade team. So there was some separation there. but really um, following their leadership and them having tough conversations with me um, along the way uh, really made it an easier transition. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I'm 31 now. So people sometimes still look at me as a, as a young coach. Uh, every year there's guys younger and younger than me getting into it. But, uh, you know, I remember one specific conversation with Coach Arnson just you know, being like, dude, you're too intense. You have to chill out. The kids have to have fun. It's not about winning every single day, every single thing. And just some of those conversations along the way uh, just have really had a huge impact on me. And now hopefully I get to have some of those conversations with younger coaches. I'm I'm no longer the youngest on my own staff, which I was for a while, which was interesting. Um, so hopefully now I'm getting to influence some of the next generation of coaches as well. Yeah, for sure. Well, you know, one of the things that jumped out to me is that you became uh, a head football coach at, you know, age 24-ish, somewhere in there um, at EM Hill Carlton. And so that was one of my first things, thoughts of like, okay, you're 24, you become a head coach. Got to imagine every single person on your staff is going to be older than you. <laughs> yeah, EM uh, Hill Carlton's a small school, um, you know, about 300 students. And so my football staff, I for most of the time, was really uh, probably me plus three um, but I, I mean, again, just blessed to be with, with good individuals that, you know, I think when I did some of my coaching inter interviews, one of the questions is, is this going to be an issue for you? Like, um, you know, can you take, uh, you know, can you work under somebody that's significantly younger than you and, and is in, in their first coaching job? And it, it never was an issue. Um, I think I have to give a lot of credit to my assistant coaches for allowing me um, to be the leader and to learn as I was going. And I like to think that I did a good job and, and respected, um, you know, the people that had a lot more experience than me and had been around. And, you know, I don't know if there could be a bigger culture difference than from going from Clackamas to Yamhill Carlton and just allowing me to find my way through that transition and supporting me um, along the way. Uh, I have to give a lot of credit to those people too. Yeah, so uh, kind of we have somewhat similar paths just in the respect that we both, when I was in college, I ended up coaching a youth baseball team in Forest Grove. So I kind of had that same path as you where I coached like youth teams first before I kind of graduated into coaching in high schools, um, was an assistant before I became a head coach just like you as well. Um, and so Yamhill Carlton, you know, it's for people who are listening and they, they hear the Clackamas thing, it's, you know, this six, eight job, huge school. In fact, recently, you know, just a couple of years ago, they had to open a second school near it. And both schools are still extremely full. Like there's just so many people in Clackamas. And then you go from there to being the head coach at Yam Hill Carlton, which is a really, really small school. It's pretty rural. So my thought for you, when you were kind of exploring jobs and kind of taking that one, what was that? process or that interview or those discussions like where your your background is at this huge giant school just this behemoth of athletics and then you're transitioning from there in and looking to get a job at a pretty small rural kind of close-knit community yeah so as i had started at clackmas it's kind of interesting we, we were talking about the split um 
you know, I knew the split was coming. Um, it was probably a decade down the road at that point. Um, and I talked to several people and obviously I knew that I needed some head coaching experience if I was ever going to have the, um, opportunity to take over the new school, which became Nelson. Um, and so after my two years at Clackamas, I'd done the freshman thing. I'd done the JV thing. Um, you know, coach Bushman didn't really have a ton of staff turnover at that point. So there wasn't really anywhere else for me to go at Clackamas. I mean, I could have stayed there and won a bunch more JV games, um, which would have been cool, but it was going to be hard to get a head coaching job at a major level um, without some sort of head coaching experience. So I applied at a number of, of small schools um, in the area. And uh, to be 100% honest, I think Yamhill Carlton was a little bit desperate. They, um, geez, before I got there, I think they'd gone like one and eight and oh and nine the previous two years. And I don't, I don't think um, they had many applicants. Um, from what I've heard, it was like, uh, you have to hire Brennan because he's basically the only one. So uh, <laughs> that's how I, that's how the opportunity came about. Um, but uh, no, it, it, cold, the culture thing was just so different because you, you go from a place where you have over a hundred kids out for the football team. And, and if somebody doesn't want to do um, what you're asking them to do, then great. It's on to the next guy where at Yamil Carlton, you're basically begging, borrowing, pleading, uh, to get as many athletes out as you can. I, I think my first year there, we had a total of 30 athletes and we were able to grow it up to about 45 and we're able to have a JV team my last two years. But yeah, talk, talk about two different places for sure. Well, yeah, that's one of the, I want to get into Hillcrest, especially obviously, because that's where we are now and that's where I want to spend the bulk of our time. But the, the Yam Hill one is really interesting because your first two years there was, it was still kind of a difficult path. And then all of a sudden you guys really got after it. And one of the things I wanted to, you know, kind of just glean from you is what changed, obviously from your perspective, a big part was increasing the numbers because when you can increase the numbers obviously the talent pool is bigger what'd you do is there anything you were doing specifically to try to get more participation like how did that come about well I, one thing that i would just recommend to any school is i think your head coaches need to be on staff at the school because mm -hmm. especially at a small place like gamer called carlton i'm seeing every student from middle school to high school basically every day and so I'm just able to have interactions in the hallways and build relationships and, you know, get kids out that if you weren't at the school every day, you would have no shot of getting. Um, you know, there was a couple of kids that came out and played line for us that had only ever wrestled before. But I was able to build a relationship um, with some of those guys, and, and that helped um, bump the numbers for sure. Um, a couple other things there that really, you know, affected our success was when I had first got there. We were two years away from a reclassification period, and Yamhill Carlton was um, 100 students lower than the lowest 4A school, but we were still playing 4A for two years. Oh, um, so <laughs> especially in a numbers game like football, that really hurt. Yeah. Um, and then going into my second year there, um, again, small talent pool. We had a really talented quarterback that was going into a senior year, and he broke his foot wakeboarding over dead week. And uh, that really put a damper on things. <laughs> but, uh, you know, hindsight being 2020, when he broke his foot, it allowed us to play a sophomore. His name is Jaime Garcia, who ended up starting for us for three years and uh, was first team All-State as a quarterback his senior year. And he may never have gotten that opportunity if, if Braden never broke his foot. So uh, it was trial by fire and then moving down to the 3A level, which where we is where we should have been all along, um, was also a huge difference. But, you know, we were able to – 
bump the numbers up through relationships, get down to the three A level where we were supposed to be playing. Um, you know, it always comes down to what kids you have, man. You know, we do everything we can to develop them, but I was blessed to have some really good athletes my final years there, and I was able to do things to develop them. You know, I'm a full time uh, strength and conditioning teacher both at Yamel Carlton and now at Hillcrest. And I, I just think that makes a world of difference when, when you have big, strong kids, especially out on the football field. Well, then, so let's get into it. So how did the transition go from Yamhill Carlton to Hillcrest in Idaho? Yeah, so uh, as the pandemic kind of hit and Portland was, was stonewalling, I was newly married. Um, and uh, both my wife and I had one of the big factors was is we wanted to be able to buy a house someday. And uh, out in the Yamhill Carlton area in wine country, that was looking less and less likely. Um, yeah. So we started, started applying at, at um, different places um, throughout Idaho, interviewed a couple places in the Boise area that um, just didn't work out. Um, when you finish runner up for a job, that means you don't get the job. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> uh, moved further and further southeast. And so for those that don't know, Idaho Falls is in kind of the southeast corner of Idaho. Um, I have ab- I had absolutely no connection to the area. Um, I just knew they had a good football program, um, had a job opening for a head football coach, had a job opening in the PE department. Um, so flew my wife out uh, to interview um, sat down with Ty Salisbury, my, my current principal and Tyler Mills, my um, assistant principal and Wendy Johnson, the athletic director. And it just all worked out. I mean, it, it wasn't something that I was planning. Like I said, I had no connection to the area. Um, now I'm here and rocking and rolling. Give me the kind of rundown on Hillcrest. Cause we've, we've heard about Clackamas. We've heard about Yamhill Carlton. How big is it? What division is it in? Can you get into that? Yeah, so Hillcrest is about 1,200 students. Um, we play in Idaho's 4A division, and uh, we go up to 5A. Um, so we're, we're kind of on the cutoff. Um, I anticipate us playing at the 4A level um, for the next several years, um, and then we might, we might bump up depending on what the state does. But we're kind of right on that cutoff level. Um, uh, historically, um, has been a, a solid um, athletic area. Um, won football state championships in 2008 and 2018. Um, our basketball team, our boys basketball team currently has been extremely dominant and has a couple uh, college basketball players on it and has won back-to-back state championships and uh, will certainly be favored to win a third. So uh, really cool area, a beautiful area. We're, we're right outside of uh, entrance to Yellowstone. Um it very different demographic than what I'm used to. Um, we're about 80% uh, Latter-day Saint, um, which uh, has its pluses and minuses. There's there's good things and bad things about that. The, the community involvement is huge, um, but sometimes I'm also missing kids at church camp for two weeks, which is something that I didn't have to deal with at Yamo Carlton. So uh, just, just learning the area and going into my third year now, I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on things. <laughs> I think that's one of the really interesting, fascinating things about coaching is that you, when you get into it and you start, especially when you're in building, and I agree with you, by the way, about how important it is to have head coaches in the building, I think is such a huge benefit. Um, but you know, when you're in a program and you start learning all the ins and outs of it and, diff- and, and how they operate and everything, it, it, it's kind of fascinating because 
from the outside, you know, people look at it and say, oh, it's just another high school. But then within all of our high schools, we have these weird little things that are just unique to our high school that we deal with. Um, so, you know, 80% Latter-day Saints, so you have a lot of that. We have a, a handful over the years in our baseball program. Uh, and we used to practice um, sometimes on Sundays, and we'd have a few kids that couldn't be there. Uh, you know, obviously. And so we had to eventually be like, you know, we should probably like, change what we're doing so all our guys can show up. This is kind of weird. Yeah, absolutely. What, uh, you know, when I was at Clackamas, we would do the, uh, our big football meetings on Sunday, we'd have the kids come in and, and review film and get the game plan in for the next week. And I was told very quickly, yeah, that's not going to yeah. happen here. So <laughs> that was a change we had to make really quick. Yeah, no kidding. So you, you take over, what are some of your first steps if you can kind of remember back saying, okay, you're now the head football coach here. Cool. Like now what, what did you do? You know, the first thing was, was meeting with, um, the current staff. And I've been really blessed that um, basically anybody that wanted to stay um, has stayed and have been, you know, huge influences on our kids here Um, because I had no connection to the area and I wasn't bringing anybody with me. I really had to lean on uh, my, my admin team and some of the coaches that had been here for a long time, um, you know, to really get that process started because especially in a football program of this size, uh, without assistant coaches, it doesn't matter how smart I am, we're not going to get anything accomplished. And so again, I was just really blessed that, um, you know, at the time I was hired, I was 29 years old and shoot my offensive line coach, Scott Peterson, um, who just retired, he had been coaching at Hillcrest since it opened in 1990, but he was, he was gracious enough to go, dude, I, I'm lear- willing to learn a new system, new, new everything. If you're a good leader, I'll follow you. And so there's just a lot of people like that and the community really supported me. Um, so I, I was just so blessed that, that they embraced me and my wife and welcomed us and were willing to work and learn new things. Uh, you know, traditionally, uh, Hillcrest has been like a super run heavy power double wing football team. And I'm certainly more of a spread guy. And so that was a huge change for a lot of people. But everyone hopped on board and and, you know, as a leader. I just felt like if I can present a clear, coherent um, vision that we can stick to and we can get everybody on board, um, you know, good things are going to happen and good things are starting to happen. That's sort of the interesting things. I think like football and and basketball are probably the two where you run into – head coaches having a ton of influence on the system that they run. Like for, you know, you've been in the baseball world. That's where I kind of live. I mean, you take over a baseball program. All right. Like our assist, we're going to bunt less than the previous guy. Okay, great. Like there's, there's some small things you can do, but you know, basketball, especially. And then obviously football, you're talking about full systems that one group can run and then you get a new coach in there and he has his own philosophy on what he wants to run. And then like, you're talking about not having any assistance that you're obviously bringing with you. They're not moving out there with you. So you're, you're, you're also then relying on the guys who are already there to embrace this change. And it's, if it doesn't work right away or quickly enough and they don't see success, like that's a pretty big, uh oh, like, are they going to keep following me? Is it going to happen? So did you experience decent amount of success right away as you were changing some of these systems? Was there well, difficulties? That's a really funny question. Uh, it's a funny question. And the answer is absolutely not. We did not, we did not sustain success. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, um, so a couple, a couple parts to that. Um, 
so our, our school district has three schools. Uh, we mentioned Bonneville earlier where we'd played our home games. And then the third is Thunder Ridge and they commit, uh, they play at the, at the biggest level in Idaho. They have about 1600 students and Thunder Ridge opened uh, four or five years ago. And when it did, it essentially took um, uh, two whole classes of athletes out of Hillcrest, um, the freshmen and the sophomores. So when I got here, um, I believe we had 10 seniors on the football team and nine juniors, but we had 40 sophomores. So um, we absolutely took our lumps my first year here. <laughs> so not only not only were we learning a brand new system, but I had a sophomore at quarterback. I had four sophomore offensive linemen. Um, our schedule was just hellacious. We played Rigby, who was the 6A state champions, and sent three guys to BYU uh, we played Skyline, who was the 5A state champions three years in a row, who just sent a kid to University of Oregon. Uh, we absolutely got our high knees kicked uh, for, for the first year. And now looking back, it's funny, but I remember vividly in my interview uh, asking the admin team like, hey, you know, this would never happen. But if we go 0-9 my first year, am I still going to have a job? And they kind of laughed and like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to give you time to figure things out. Lo and behold, we go 0-9, and, <laughs> and uh, thankfully they didn't fire me. Um, but no, we, we didn't experience success right away for, for a bunch of different reasons, like I just said. But, um, you know, everybody uh, stuck with the plan. I didn't have a bunch of coaching turnover. People believed in me. They believed in the system. They knew we had a bunch of young guys. And uh, going into this fall, all those kids that were sophomores two years ago uh, – are now seniors. And I, you know, I think it's really our turn because we've stuck with the system and we've stuck with the assistant coaches and, and we've done the things throughout the off season that we need to do to really set us up for success. Well, yeah, it helps when you have the system in place for a few years, when you have the kids who've been around for a few years, it helps if you have like a, a quarterback who's been around for a few years, all of that makes a difference. And then as kids enter the program and even as youth players looking up at the program, they kind of know what they're getting into and they have the expectations and they, they've learned the systems like they're ready to go. But yeah, man, that first year going 0-9, that had to be really fun. Uh, yeah, it was a blast. Friday nights were <laughs> were great in Southeast Idaho for me for, for the first uh, two months living here. Uh, you know, we, we could see the – we knew that success was going to come. We just had to give it time. And uh, But, man – we all know we all know that feeling as head coaches. It is not fun when when you're down in the dumps. There's no doubt about that. And football, you play baseball too, right? So football, there's you got to wait. You got to wait a week yep. to go again. And that's one of the nice things about baseball. It's like, all right, well, let's play again tomorrow, and we can right. you know, maybe have another shot at it. Did, did you have like through that process that first year? Was there? Did you did you ever experience like self doubt? Like, were you ever questioning what you were doing? Yeah, uh, especially as a young coach. Um, I think that's something that probably a lot of us deal with. And I know that I certainly did just that feeling of, uh, have I pulled the wool over everyone's eyes and they didn't know who they were hiring and what, what am I doing here? Um, but you know, in those times, I think you lean on your own experience and you lean on the mentors, um, that have, that have helped got you, get you there. You know, I, I talked a little bit earlier about coach Bushman at Clackamas and, uh, right after I graduated Clackamas went through, just the doldrums. Uh, I think they won like three games in three years from 2011 to, to 2013. And coach Bushman was the same coach that he had always been. And it took time to build it back up um, into an eventual state champion winner. 
And so I was just talk, I would talk with him basically on a weekly basis. And he encouraged me that, you know, you had, I had gone 0 and 9 at Yamhill Carlton. If you go 0 and 9, you know how to build a program back up. Um, and so trying to eliminate some of that self-doubt was, was important. And, um, you know, another thing that we, we did a lot of was just focusing on the process rather than results. And I know that's coach speak, but when you're getting your butt kicked every week, it's something that you have to do. You know, can, could we practice the best, to the best of our ability? Could we accomplish something in practice or the weight room or in conditioning um, that was better than the week before? Could we have some small moral victories um, in games? And we did have some of those. I have some really cool stories about things that we accomplished that year that didn't result in wins, um, but I think helped build the foundation for things to come. Yeah, I think football is interesting because it's like we kind of mentioned a minute ago about how you have to wait and, you know, you 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 wait all week, you know, practice, obviously, you're not just sitting around, but you get to the game. OK, you lose the game. Now we got to go through the weekend. We got to go back to school next week. Uh, we got to listen to our probably classmates, you know, talking about it. Uh, then we got to practice all week. And then, oh, my gosh, we lost again. And then we got to repeat this whole thing again. And so I think of the the. I guess just the awesomeness that the administration was telling the truth when they told you jokingly at the time, but it turned out to be reality that they would have faith in you, that they were, they were committed to you. I think as a coach, that makes a huge difference because then you, while the self-doubt certainly will creep in, you understand that they're also doing the process over the outcome thing that you're kind of preaching to your players. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the their support of us through that time was huge um and they never wavered you know one of my assistant principals tyler mills has become one of my best friends out here and um you know he he would he would remind me every week we believe in you you're doing the right thing keep it up the results are going to come and just having you know having that support um was so huge and and they helped celebrate our small successes too you know one quick story from that first season at Hillcrest that I just love. One of my favorite memories. Uh, we were going in uh, middle of the year. We were playing Rigby High School, who I had mentioned. It was the big division uh, winners here out in Idaho. They have, they have about 2,500 students. Mm. And like I said, sent multiple players to college and they were loaded. I don't know if we could have beat their JV team that year. They were that good. Um, but we, we went in with this game plan. Just we're going to shorten the game as most we can, as best we can. We're no matter what, we were running it on first and second down and we were taking every second of the play clock. And um, it, it worked for a little while. Like we, we, we kept the game close it was 0-0 for a long time. Uh, they scored right going into halftime to make it 7-0. And I'm telling you, Max, there has never been a more excited locker room to be down 7-0 in the history of high school football. I have never seen a team more excited to be down 7 at halftime than, than that group was. Uh, we won't talk about what happened in the second half because it got ugly. But the, you could see that you could see the promise was there, and it was some of those baby steps, um, like I was talking about, that set the foundation for for the future and what we're trying to accomplish now. I love it, man. I think one of the uh, the big things too for you, obviously, being a strength coach uh, and being able to be in the building and being the head football coach, I think those things go really well together. Uh, and so then, you know, you get through this first first season, then obviously you have the whole quote unquote off season preparing for the next year, and now you get to really have these athletes in the weight room and, and kind of commit to uh, their physical development, right? They're 
because obviously every sport's important, but football especially, uh, if you can have some dogs out there, it's going to make life a whole lot better. Yeah. Uh, I, I like to say this in interviews, you know, for football interviews, um, you know, people, ask, people always want to ask about X's nose and scheme and, and all of those things are, are certainly important. But I, I really like to say that 90% of my job is not during the football season. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just truly developing athletes. Um, I, I don't care what your X's and O's are. If you have really good football players, you're, you're going to be a really good football team. And so I, I take um, our player development stuff super seriously and, and our, you know, so do our assistant coaches and our players are starting to buy in. Um, you know, it, I, I've never heard a football player go through a game and been like, man, I wish I was weaker. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I wish I was slower. Um, everybody always wants to be bigger, faster, stronger. And so we, we spend so much of our time and effort and our booster club's money on nutrition and uh, things like that, really just to develop the best athletes that we can. Um, you know, I'm, I feel confident in my X's and O's and being able to scheme things up, you know, but I'm not the best in the world at it. But I know that if I can put in the time and effort and open the weight room and do do cool things to get kids excited about the weight room. Um, it's going to pay off in the long run. You know, our, our school is bought into it too. The fact that they allow me to have a zero hour class with just football players um, is huge for us. Cause I get those kids year round, um, whether, whether they're playing other sports or not. So we, we really focus on a year round development schedule. Um, like I mentioned, we, we try and do things with our nutrition, um, with our booster club, providing these kids with protein and, and getting them the things that they need to, to be big and strong, and then just trying to make things fun. We, we started a Saturday lifting club that is by no means uh, mandatory, but we somebody's designated to bring donuts, and I bring chocolate milk every Saturday. And, you know, during the offseason, we'll routinely have 20 to 30 football kids on a Saturday come in and lift and uh, for, their, for their chocolate milk and donuts. And so we, we really do things to develop the best athletes that we can, and we feel like um, – as coaches, we'll do everything we can X's and O's wise, but if we have really good football players, it makes our job a lot easier. Well, I think the the weight room is super important and and credit to your your school for allowing you to have a zero period with just the football players. Because I think uh, every school kind of struggles with that of you get a, a weights class together, right? You're going to have people from all over the school and, and all over the place that are coming in there for that class period. There may be some like super you know, big linemen from the football team. There may be uh, a cross country runner. There might be someone who doesn't play sports at all. And so being able to have your kids in one spot is awesome. And I think it's something that uh, if every school could do it, I think they should. Yeah. Sometimes I I like to joke that we we run things uh, to my benefit, kind of like a a Texas high school football program might. Um, But yeah, it, it, what you said is spot on, you know, in my regular classes throughout the day, it runs the gambit from I've had the basketball player of the year in my class to special needs students and um, trying to fit um, a workout in that's going to make sense for everybody and everybody's getting the development that they deserve because the basketball player isn't any better or any worse than the special needs student. So how do I make that work? Um, just like you said, have, being able to have all the football players there at one time is um a, it's great for team morale, and B, uh, we get to get some some specific stuff done um, that I feel like that we need to get done, and it's super important for their development. 
Yeah, let's let's look in on that like zero period with just your football players. So what's the you you mentioned the Saturday one too the the donuts one that's a good one. But what's the culture like in that zero period? Like, what have you tried to either make it be like, or what does it organically become with the football players? It, some of it depends on what time uh, what time of year we're in. Um, during the football season, um, it's certainly a little more um relaxed atmosphere where you know at that point we're just trying to maintain what we've spent the rest of the year building um so it's kind of uh rest recovery active recovery things like that but uh especially in the winter time it's it's get after it time and uh you know i've been blessed to have some really good athletes that are also really good leaders and um it's you know i it, it's more scientific than this but if you just walked in you'd be like, oh, it's a bunch of meatheads with, with, uh, <laughs> with, with, uh, with the music going and the, and the cutoff t-shirts and the whatever else. And um, so it, it's certainly go time at that point. Um, and it's just guys getting after it. And, you know, I think I've done a good job of, you know, with my education and putting these guys through uh, workouts that make sense and are going to develop them. You know, I'm not stealing stuff out of Muscle and Fitness magazine. I, I know what I'm doing. Um, we have a proven track record at this point, but if somebody just came and walked in and was like, what was the culture? Uh, they'd probably be like, uh, these guys are a bunch of psychos. So, yeah. <laughs> but that's, but that's kind of what we want. It's a huge compliment if they, if they walked in and said that I would think. Um, so I think one of the, the really great things too, about the weight room, uh, is one of the things that you mentioned is the loud music. And I've heard coaches do all sorts of different things with it. Uh, what's the musical selection like in that zero period? Uh, I basically say as long as I don't hear swear words that we're good. So I let them play whatever the heck they want, um, until I hear bad language and they figured out that I'm not joking. Like we turned it off really quick. Um, but I think that does mean that I hear a lot of songs that a, I've never heard of before. Um, at 31 years old, I feel like the old guy. Uh, but, um, there's a lot of blurred out language, um, in the weight room in the mornings. And sometimes I'll, I'll be honest. I'm like, all right, guys, I can't take this anymore. And we put on some ACDC and, and back in black and whatever else. And, uh, we rock out to that for a time, but for the most part, I let the kids choose what they want to listen to as long as it's not going to get me fired. You've been doing this for a while too. So I'm, I'm 34, so we're not too far apart in age and, uh, early in coaching, I knew all the songs the kids would play. And similar to you, it was probably like three or four years ago. All of a sudden, there's this transition. And now I feel like you said, I feel so old because so much of the music now that they listen to, I have never heard of it. I've, I've It's never even been on the radio in any vehicle I've ever been on before. It's like totally exactly. brand new. And I, it's just... I just kind of have to be like you, like, all right, every once in a while I need to put on music that I know. Like, what, give yeah, me once if, a week. It, I never want to learn the lyrics to mumble rap. That's for sure. And I've decided that any rapper that starts with Lil, that's not Lil Wayne, hot garbage, not a fan. That's so funny. So uh, three years ago, I, I was teaching, I still am, I was teaching an avid class and, and my kids were freshmen. And I can't even remember what the assignment was, but one group did like a, a project on mumble rap. And when they first said it to me, I had no idea that they were even talking about music. They're like, well, we're going to do ours on mumble rap. And I'm like, I don't know what what is that guys think like you rapping stuff? and they're like, no, no, like rap where they're like, I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. I feel really old. Yeah. It, I, I feel okay. in this time, uh, not keeping up with the times I'll, I'll stick with the classics. 
Yeah, no kidding. So <laughs> in the into the football program, obviously you have the the new stadium that's hoping to be done and, and ready to go by by kickoff here at the start of the school year. Um, and, and you mentioned that the the obviously the opportunities that that provides for um, lots of other programs too. You think like soccer, lacrosse, all sorts of all sorts of different groups. Um, as as that thing gets built and finished, what's the impact going to be like? Do you think for your football program long term? Long term, I just see us um, continuing to build and to grow. Uh, you know, one of the huge community events that will take place there um, that's going to be huge for me is that um, we call it Grid Kid out here, but our, our youth football programs will be able to play um, on that turf field as well. And um, I guess I should mention, unlike Oregon, uh, where everybody seems to have turf now, it, it hasn't fully matriculated its way to southeast Idaho yet. I, I think it's on its way, which is probably a good thing, but we will be one of the few uh, turf facilities in the area, um, which I just think will be a huge draw for us. Um, so I just think it's going to you know, be able to continue to grow um, the program. I think when, when I got here, we were at 85 players, and, and this year we'll be probably around 110, um, which, which is really right where we need to be. Um, but continuing to pump out groups of incoming freshmen, of of 30 to 35 kids just for the long, long-term stability of the program and the success of the program is, is where we need to be. And I think the stadium is going to be a big part of that. Yeah. What is the reach for you personally into youth high school football in your area? So we, we have a director um, and the director names the coaches, which is a little bit different than what I experienced in Oregon. Um, but um, I do as much as I can um, to reach out and uh, get get those kids involved. I mean, last week we, we finished up our grid kid camp, our youth camp, where we had probably about 75 fourth through eighth graders come out um, and practice with us for a week. Um, we'll do another one here in August, right, right as they're getting going. And then, you know, I make a point um, to get to as many youth football games as I can. And we have, we have a senior leadership council, um, and one of their jobs is to pick um, a team and to follow that team around for the year and at least go to two of their games. And so we try to have a really visible presence and I meet with any of the coaches that want to meet with me. I'll give them, I'm a pretty open book. Here's our playbook. Here's what we do. Here's how we run practice. Here's, you know, here's what Hillcrest football does. Take as much of it as you want because the more the kids are running um, what they're going to run when they get to high school, the better off we're all going to be, you know, thinking back to my time in Oregon, I think Sherwood High School football is just the perfect example of that. Those kids are running the wing tee from the time they can walk. And there's a reason that that program has been so good for so long because they're all on the same page, you know, from the time they're fourth graders till the time they leave their senior year. And that's really kind of the model that that we're trying to follow as well. Yeah, I think as a football coach, especially you running a spread offense, you have a, if you're like eighth grade team is running a wishbone, that's not going to be a hard transition for them Absolutely. when they're coming into the summer into your program and what a difference that makes. I think too, when I, I think of, uh, of the football program and, and everything that's involved with it, my mind kind of quickly goes to fundraising. Cause that's kind of where I am right now as I'm thinking to our upcoming year and how we're kind of creating our fundraising Ready for, for orange year. sales. Oh my gosh! Yeah, lots of orange sales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how. By the way, side note: I, I did that in high school. Uh, went to college. Had to do it in college. I don't know how baseball 
got hooked up with oranges and why that those two became a, a committed like partnership. I don't know, but it, it's a thing because I sold Dang them when I was a Blackmas too. <laughs> sell them forever. So tired of oranges, but they make good money, so we'll keep doing it. So yeah, so what do you guys do for fundraising? Because football is a huge. I mean, it takes a lot of money to run a program, especially over the long term when you have all the equipment and everything. So what are what's a fundraiser or two that you guys have done that you do that's successful? You know. I, I don't know if I have a super exciting answer for you, but you're right. Football is super expensive. Um, you know, we we do a lot of the same things that a lot of other people do. Our, our two major ones that we do are the, uh, I think Blast is the company name in, in mm. Oregon, but uh, just call and ask for money because uh, that's really easy. Nobody wants to sell anything. Nobody necessarily wants to buy anything. Um, and so we just got done with that. We raised about $15,000 um, doing that. And then, in August, we'll do the card sales like everybody else. And I know everybody hates them. Um, I hated selling them when I was in high school. I know our kids uh, hate selling them. I know the parents don't want to sell anything else. And I totally get it. But what I say in our parent meeting is, until one of you writes me a $25,000 check, we're, we have to do this every year. Because, yeah. you know, as a coach, I want to put our kids in the best. I know all of our moms want their want their baby's heads to be protected by the best helmets. But Right now, the going rate for helmets about $500, and the shoulder pads we just bought are about $300, and those things have to be replaced every four to five years, and everybody wants nice uniforms. Uh, you know, So I explained to our parents pretty explicitly that you know, just on gear, we're putting our kids in about $1,500 worth of stuff every year that we're not asking you to pay for. Uh, and that $1,500 worth of stuff probably has to be replaced about every five years. And so, you know, fundraising's huge. And I, I know nobody wants to call and ask for money or sell the cards, but they've been successful for us. So between those two things, we'll raise um, probably close to $35,000. And then our booster club, um, you know, they take care of all of what we call our swag sales, all of the sweatshirts, t-shirts, hats, yada, yada, yada. Um, they run concessions for us. Um, they sell banners. Um, which will be another huge benefit of having our own stadium. We can, we can do more of that and, and we have more advertising space. Um, another cool thing with the stadium is that we're going to have a digital scoreboard so we can run advertisements and things like that. Uh, so they'll, they'll probably uh, raise another ten dollars to $15,000. So in a year, um, we're probably spending about $50,000 $50, um, just to keep the program running. Um, and that's not counting the things that our admin thankfully takes care of. Like they, they pay my huddle bill for me, which can be $5,000. And we, we beg, borrow and steal and do trades with our admin all the time. But um, that's just another way they're supportive of us. But football is a really expensive sport. And so if you're not fundraising, you're going to fall behind really quick. Yeah, we, uh, it's funny you, you mentioned that because I, uh, I've talked to people before about how much money it you know, we fundraise and they're like, oh man, you should be able to buy less. And I'm like, well, actually the stuff we have to buy is not very fun. I'm like, you know how much a baseball alone costs? Like it's so much money. No, it's like, ridiculous. Yeah, it's like buying a shoulder pad. It's not fun, but we have to, we have to have them. Getting a helmet's not that fun, but we have to have them. And so there's just this huge cost that comes with it. And so one of the things like you mentioned, like big barring and steel, we came up with a thing with one of our, with our athletic director where, we have our uh, we supply three kids for every uh, football game uh, sub varsity and they run the chain gang and then at the end of it he ends up buying you know a set of our team hats and so everybody wins and we it's just like all right cool we'll do that and, and get money out of it for our for our program but it's just it's just there's just so much that goes into a program that's not 
like it's not sexy to buy a lot of this stuff, but we right. have to have it and it costs money. And it's, and I, I think like you said, it, just calling people and asking them for money is not the most fun thing in the world, but hot dang, it works. And they don't have to buy a bunch of silly stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. If, if someone out there right now is listening to this podcast and you're, you're thinking about getting in, especially if you want to be a head coach, it, it doesn't matter what sport you are. So much of your time and energy is, is spent getting funds. Um, you know, a dozen baseballs now I shoot, what is it? 150 bucks. I mean, it's, oh, yeah, it's, it's it, insane. It's insane. A, a single football for us right now, the, the game footballs that we use, the leather footballs are $175 a piece. It's just, it's, it's nuts. It's expensive. It's crazy. Uh, what do you think of, uh, your, your time now? You're, you're still obviously young and everything. So don't, you know, even despite our, our musical tastes, you're still young. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? So you, you've, you've been doing it for a little while though, at the same time. And as you kind of look back, especially, all the way back maybe to Yamhill Carlton, but then even even to coming to Hillcrest, is there anything that you did along the way that, that looking back now you would have maybe done a little bit differently? I think I mentioned this at the beginning, but um, just just learning to calm down. You know, my, my personality is um, I've always been high strung and, and super serious. And, you know, this is what has to happen and this is what we need to do. Uh, a good story to illustrate that when I was young and a little kid, uh, you know, I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player and why my dad told me this, I don't know. But one, at one point he said, you know, uh, ba- professional baseball players don't drink soda, which is a complete lie. Why he told me that, I don't know, but I got it in my head early. Uh, okay, well, fine. I'm just, I won't drink soda anymore. And I don't know if I had a soda for close to 20 years. And that was, that was just my, that was just my personality and always has been, but um, you know, just learning down, learning to uh, love the kids more and not worry so much on the results and being a perfectionist all the time. Um, like we talked about earlier, really just trusting the process and doing the right things and making things fun. It doesn't it doesn't have to be so serious all the time. And, and it's something that I'm still learning to uh, learning to this day and still working on because I know that that's what my personality is. And it's something that I have to continually work on. You know, I, I don't know how many times that um, teachers have told me, so-and-so thinks you're mad at them. And I'm like, I'm not mad at them. I love that kid. Like, well, you know, maybe you should smile more. Like, okay, well, I'll work on it. It's, it's something that I'm constantly having, having to work on. And I wish I could have learned some of those lessons um, earlier. Um, but it's something that I'm still working on to this day. You know, one thing that um, I did for all my coaches this year, we have, we have about 15 guys on staff that work with us in different capacities and I made us all bracelets. Um, but really it's, it's a big reminder for me and the bracelets just say to have the heart of a teacher, um, because coaching really is teaching. And, um, that's just something that I'm having to work on is to control my own emotions. And, um, you know, when I'm calm, our players are calm and, and learning that that sometimes is the best way to success than being so high strung all the time. Um, is something that I wish I would have learned quicker. Um, but it's, you know, it's part of that journey and, and part of that journey I'm still on. It's funny you mentioned the the calm part. Cause when I think of football, especially I think of how intense it is, um, how 
if you watch a lot of sidelines during high school football games, you're going to see a lot of energy, which I think is good. Uh, but you'll also see coaches that are really intense. You'll see others who are really, really calm. And you're like, how are you not going insane right now? Uh, so if someone looked over now at the, the current you on the sideline during a football game, what, what's your demeanor like, would you say? For the most part, um, I'm pretty straight faced. Um, you know, I, I don't show a lot of emotion most of the time, um, positive or negative. I think most of the time, if you looked at me, um, you, you wouldn't know if things were going good or going bad. Um, I, I truly feel like part of my job is to protect my kids. And uh, so if that means that I feel like uh, a, a call isn't being made by officials or, um, you know, somebody's health is being put in danger because, you know, football is a physical game. And if there's cheap shots being taken or whatever, I, I'll get, I'll get pretty fired up. There's no doubt about that. Um, but it's very clear in our program that I'm the only one who's allowed to do that. Um, and I, I think it's part of, part of the game and, you know, I have to protect my guys and, and make sure that, you know, thing, things are being called fair and all that. And at, at those points, you know, I'll get pretty fired up, but with our kids, you know, I think year after year, I do a better and better job. You know, I, I call the offensive plays, and so I spend a lot of time with our quarterbacks. And just knowing knowing my kids, the calmer I am, the better he's going to play. And so if he's a kid that I'm in his face and yelling at him and and uh, getting him agitated, um, you know, it, it's not going to go well. So I, I do my best to stay calm, especially when I'm interacting with, with, with our players. Um, you know, kind of along the same lines um, – uh, a book that I read back in high school and reread again um, uh, recently is Mind Gym. I think it's kind of at the forefront of sports psychology and has been for a long time. But in Mind Gym, it talks about the optimal level of arousal and kind of looking at it as a bell curve. And, you know, your prototypical middle linebacker, meathead, he might need to be at an eight or a nine on that emotional level to play his best. But I think a lot of our kids nowadays, and my quarterback being one of them, you know, he plays better when he's at that controlled three or four you know it doesn't look like he's in comatose but he's not you looking at him you wouldn't know that he's in the heart of battle on friday nights and so the more that i can coach to the to the level of where the kid needs to be i think the better off um, we all are and so that's one of those things that i'm continually trying to fight and uh you know within myself to be the best leader that i can yeah that's interesting because i think of um I mean, you can even think of yourself as a player and think back, like, okay, what level of intensity did I need to be able to play? Or like what, when I was playing well, what was that level of intensity? Do you, like, do you talk to your kids about that, of them trying to find that on their own? Or is that something you're kind of doing quietly behind the scenes that they aren't explicitly aware of? No, that, it's, it's certainly uh, something that we talk about. I, I think I mentioned earlier that we started a, a senior leadership um, class uh, this, this last year. And that was one thing that we talked a lot about um, with with that group. Uh, one thing that we really struggled with the team last year, for whatever reason, we started games off terribly. Uh, we just felt like we were always in a hole by the end of the first quarter. And so we talked about that a lot um, going into the season. You know, what does our pregame routine look like? Do you guys want a rah-rah, get everybody fired up pregame speech out of me? Or do you want something more controlled? You know, how do we warm up? What drills are we doing in warm-ups? Um, wh- how do you need to get yourself in the best headspace to perform at the level you need to perform at? 
Um, so it's something that we're constantly talking about and, and trying to get our guys at the right um, level to perform their best. Because, you know, as I mentioned, everybody's going to be different. Some kids need to be at that high wire, high wired act. And some kids need to be more calm, cool and collected. And especially on a football team where on a Friday night, we might play 40, 45 kids um, trying to get everybody at that correct level for themselves is a challenge. And so I feel like I'm doing them a disservice if I haven't told you know, talk to them about that and help them realize where they need to be as an individual. Because it's hard for me to give a pregame speech or, or anything that's going to get everybody at the same level. So how can I give them the tools to help get themselves to the right level so that they can perform at their very best is something that we talk about a lot and uh, are really working on. I love that. I've never heard of that, but it, it, it makes so much sense because you always think like movies, right? <laughs> the, you know, the coach or the player, whoever it is, given the, the pregame speech or whatever is always oftentimes like super intense, like gung ho. And I've never thought about that. The idea of actually explicitly asking the kids and talking to the kids in the leadership council of like, what do you need me to be as your coach during the pregame? And, and what do you guys need out of the drills and the, the warm up stuff? Because I think that I think it's the first time I've ever heard a coach say something like that. And there might be coaches who do it. I've just never heard it explicitly said, but I'm listening to like nodding my head. Like, actually that makes so much sense because each group's going to be a little bit different and each player is going to be different. So what can I do to hit on as many players as I can, but then also provide them with their own individual, you know, ability to get on the level they need to get on. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, again, I I think this goes all the way back to um, having coaches in the building and knowing these kids outside of the sport and, uh, you know, building those relationships with them and, and just knowing where your individual kids need to be. And even if you're a position coach, I mean, for you, you probably have an outfield coach, you know, who has six or seven kids, uh, you know, knowing each one of those well and what they need to um, perform well and, and the level that they need to be at and how can you get them into the right spot. Because, you know, going back to my time at Yamhill Carlton, you know, I had a, a player of the year candidate at quarterback and he was one that like I had to fire him up. Like if, if I wasn't yelling at him, something wasn't right. And and I knew I could coach him harder than any, any of our other kids. And my current quarterback isn't necessarily like that. I mean, he plays better when I'm calm and cool and we can talk through things and what are you seeing out there? And it, it doesn't do well. He doesn't do well when I'm up in his face and yelling at him. And that's totally okay. But knowing who your kids are and trying to reach them at their specific level is super important. Yeah, we've gotten, I think our, our our little varsity baseball staff has gotten pretty good at that. We're all see like a, like our catcher doing something. And it's like, I, I need to talk to him about this and address this. And so I'll talk to kind of the, the catching coach who's normally working with him. He's like, well, no, actually he, I think he needs, he needs this kind of a conversation. I'm like, all right, he, he, does he need it from me? Does he need it from you? He's like, ah, it's probably better coming from me. Okay, good. You can, you can kind of handle it. And I think if, I think like you said, when you're not in the building and you're not around these kids all the time, it doesn't make that impossible, but it, it makes that really, really hard to do because then you're the only time you're ever seeing them is during those, you know, couple hours during football practice or, you know, basketball practice or whatever it is. And then during a game. Yeah. I, I feel really blessed that um, I believe I have five coaches on staff that are in the building <laughs> and then me personally between the zero hour um, seeing the kids just in the hallways throughout the day, our leadership council that we do once a week during lunch, then at practice. And then, you know, my wife and I have done everything we can to be part of the community. So we're at basketball games. We've gone to theater productions. We've, you know, we're just seeing these kids in all these different areas. And 
you know, sometimes I feel like coaches only think about their kids in the capacity of them being an athlete. And we, we really try, um, you know, I, I tell our parents that our guarantee is that we try and uh, send your send your kids out of here if they're part of our program for four years, um, send them out better men than they came in. And and I don't feel like I can exclusively do that on the football field. Their, you know, their, their time with me is two to three hours a day um, in the falls. But what, what's going on in their lives outside of that and how can I help support them in that and how can I get to know them better um, throughout that is, is something that we really pride in our program. And, and I think my assistant coaches do a good job, too, of just getting to know the kids. And the better you know them, the better you can coach them, I feel like. Oh, that's one hundred percent true. I guess I think it's spot on, and I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that we were able to connect to kind of have this conversation because I think this is a really good reminder, um, not only for for me, but you know, for coaches listening, for ourselves, just of it's really easy to get caught up in, you know, the the baseball player and and who he is as a player, but the 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 sport part is just one one piece of a bigger life, and he's not gonna, you know, he's obviously not gonna play football for the rest of his life, he's, he's going to be human the whole time. And, and what can we do to make that happen? People listening also aren't going to understand or know uh, the technological problems we had throughout this. And they'll listen to this <laughs> and they'll think, wow, that went swimmingly well. And they'll have no yeah, idea what's going on behind the scenes. <laughs> well, certainly um, have to start and stop three times. That, that never yeah, happened. They'll, they'll have no idea. It went great. Um, but we got it done. It's awesome. Um, before I let you go, though, I you know you, you know we go a lot of different directions in these things, and, and sometimes there's other directions we didn't end up going with the conversation, or maybe there's just something we we missed, or you want to extrapolate on a little bit more, or whatever. But I'll just give you a mic one more time if there's anything anything else you want to toss out there. Yeah, uh, you know we we finished a lot there talking about team culture and and intensity and things like that, and you know for someone that has never met me before. Um, or, or seen one of my football teams, you know, I would just talk about kind of the three rules that I've implemented um, everywhere I've been. And we, we talk about these three things all the times with our, with our kids. Um, and we just call it mind, body, and team. And what I like about those three things is that they are um, 100% effort-based things. Everybody can do them. The uh, least physically gifted on your team can do them. The most physically gifted on, on your team can do them. Um, and what, what that looks like for us is starting with the mind is, um, A, you're a student athlete um, before anything else. You have to take care of things um, in the classroom. We just talked about that. You're not going to play football your entire life, but hopefully you're going to be a smart individual your whole life and a continual learner. And then taking it over to the football field, um, it's a 100% effort-based thing for you to know your plays, uh, to know the scouting report, to watch film, to do the things that you need to do um, to be um, the best that you can be um, when your opportunity arises. And that moves into body. And we spent some time talking about my role as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, but, you know, we, we stress getting your body in the best possible um, place it can be. I talk with our guys all the time about, you know, we all have gen a, a certain genetic potential. And some people have a super high genetic potential and some people have a super low genetic potential. But how close through hard work and nutrition – and uh, sleep and doing all those things. Can you get to your genetic potential? Can you do everything with your body that, that you were physically given to, to get as close as you can to being the best that you can be? And then the last thing that we talk about is just team. What, whatever your role is um, on the team, can you accept that? And can you do it to the absolute best of your ability? 
you know, I talked about my story a little bit that I was a backup um, quarterback in high school. Um, I loved playing scout team and I knew that that was my role. I knew my role was to try and get our starting defense as good as they um, could be going into Friday nights. Um, Not everybody can be a starter. You know, I, I mentioned we have 110 kids in our program over three teams, 11 on offense, 11 on defense, that's 66 guys. So, you know, if you're not a starter, what is your role on the team going to be? And how can you um, do that to the absolute best of your ability? So again, mind, body, and team, we talk about all the time with our guys. They're 100% effort-based. Um, and, and, you know, that's my expectation of all of our kids and all of our coaches. Can we get um, as good as we can be in those three areas? And I feel like, you know, Hillcrest football is certainly on its way to that. And uh, if we can fulfill those three areas, uh, the results on the field take care of themselves. And so, um, you know, I would just encourage coaches, whatever, wherever you're at out there, um, to have st- a similar standard to those things, um, but to make them eff- effort-based things, things that everybody can do. Because we, we're all going to have different um, kids with different genetic potential, and some are really good players and some aren't. Um, but how can, how can a kid fit into your program and become the best they can be and can those three things, mind, body, and team, translate uh, to the rest of their lives? I think they can. I think you can be a lifelong learner. I think you can stay in shape for the entirety of your life. And whether it's um, a wife someday, your kids someday, your friends, or you surrounding yourself with the right team uh, for the rest of your life, I think is super important and, and things that we um, spend a lot of time on in our program. I can imagine the the pride that uh, if you really own it as like a scout team quarterback that you would have on a Friday night if your defense ends up playing really well and you end up you know dominating the game defensively to then look back and I'd be like that's because I owned my role and I took it seriously. I feel like that for you has to be a really easy, natural, awesome conversation to be able to share with players that gives you I think like instant credibility because it's it's like I've I've been there like I've done this I've had to own this and I did and it was awesome when things went well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we try and sell that all the time. Everybody wants to be a Friday night star. I get it. I I wish, (laughs) I wish in some ways that I had been a Friday night star, that would have been awesome, but not everybody can be. So if you're going to be part of the football program, if you're going to be part of any team, not everybody can be the star. So how can you uh, fill your role to the best of your ability? And you're right. I think it does give me some credibility. Um, but that I wasn't a star, that I, I had to grind my way through it and and work as hard as I could to get the limited reps that I did get. And being able to tell that story to our kids that aren't starters, I ho- hopefully it encourages them and and uh, makes them want to stick it out and, and makes the whole experience worth it for them. Brendan, again, really appreciate you doing this. You know, you, you've had a – you mentioned earlier you're only 31, but what a cool – like sports life you've had from winning a state title in baseball in, in high school to then going to college to play college baseball and at the same time, you know, coaching youth football and then, you know, transitioning back to your home school to coach some more and then becoming a head coach at a small rural school in Anvil Carlton in Oregon. And then from there going all the way out to Hillcrest and kind of taking a leap of faith with your wife and um, glad, glad you're finding success and I, I wish you the best and, and good luck with the new field and I hope it's awesome and just appreciate you a ton getting in here and, and, and talking with me today. 
Well, I, I appreciate it, Max. I, I didn't mention this earlier, but my junior year of football, I broke my hand on South Salem's football field. So hey. I don't I don't have kind feelings towards the Saxons, but after getting after getting to talk to you for a while, I guess I'm gonna have to root for you. I, I guess I like you. <laughs> oh perfect. Okay, we just replaced the turf. So it's, it's new turf now. So that whatever whatever your hand went through, that that stuff's gone now. Actually it's gonna be part of our baseball program's uh uh, batting cage floor so there you go you can revisit it sometime if you well, want. well it's I, I mean shoot the football facility there's really cool um it, it the the whole the whole setup there is awesome so no best of luck to you man i really appreciate this the the whole podcast community and, and what you've been able to do is really cool and i'm excited to be a part of it and uh to continue following along and and uh, hopefully we can all learn things along the way Telling you that's a guy you just can't help but root for. Good luck to Hillcrest the rest of the way. If you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter or if you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. And no matter where you're listening, hit that subscribe button. Most importantly, if you found any value at all from this episode or any previous episode, Share it with anybody, however you want to do it. Doesn't matter. Just do it. Share it with someone. That's how we all get better. And that's how we grow the club. Literally, as always, if you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me, even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.